0: We've done finite verbs, okay? And now we're doing infinite verbs, (laughs) infinite (laughs) Infinite (laughs) verbs, infinitives, (laughs) that's where they get the idea. They're not bound by the, I guess, time structures and things that the regular verbs we've been learning have been. Um, They're kind of bare bones, infinitives are, like to be or not to be. That's the question. It doesn't really tell you much about what's going on, does it, just kind of a vague notion, but. That's how they talk about it in the grammar world, is finite verbs and infinitives and participles. Um, but anyway, so it's necessary to learn this. Is it possible that there's an infinitive in the title of the lesson?
1: Huh?
0: Is it possible that there's an infinitive in English right there?
1: It is. I don't, I don't, I don't. It is possible I don't
0: for there to be an infinitive in there. Where is it?
1: Which word it is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is.
0: Uh, I was trying to get you to see where you guys are at with infinitives, and in English.
1: Oh.
0: Good luck. It is necessary. To learn. English, that's all you have perfect infinitives. To, you, you use the word to. To run or not to run. That's the question. Infinitive, okay? To take out the trash. That's all it is. Infinitives are easy to translate, okay? The forms are new. So there you go with the, uh, probably the difficult part is just uh, keeping the form straight. (coughs) Will they be pretty easy to spot? Yes. Um, So in English, infinitives are verbs that begin with the word to. That's just how you translate it in English, or basic form in English. So to run, like I said, or to adopt a child. That's an infinitive, okay? Easy stuff, stuff you use every day. And here's our overview. We just want to talk about the basic grammar of the infinitive in Greek. The forms of the infinitive in Greek, which again, will be that will pose the biggest challenge. But the good news is, there's not a humongous paradigm sheet for the infinitives. It's quite small. And then the functions of the infinitive in Greek. Okay? That's what we're covering in the next 30 minutes. So, grammar. The infinitive is a verbal noun. So, like the participle, we said the participle is a, a what? Or verbal, yeah, but that's one of the categories, but speak, yeah, verbal adjective. <clears throat> and here is a verbal noun. The most, probably the most famous infinitive in the whole New Testament, Your famous, in, most famous infinitives is, uh, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Those are infinitives. And that's where he had that verbal noun idea. It almost sounds like a noun, in a way. To live is Christ, to die is gain. So you can almost translate it as as a, uh, as a noun. Life is Christ. How do you bring it, Death is gain. In a no, sermon?
1: From is, a Greek, because would it be a continuous thing? I mean, um, it sounds like it's a continuous. Live is Christ.
0: No, not. it's not really bound by the same structures. We'll talk <clears throat> about, we'll talk about uh, the way time is involved. I think we'll talk about it. Why not? You'll see how infinitives are working, though. It's less about time and more about, um, their function syntactically or the way they're in translation. But, but we'll see about some of those things in a minute. So there you go. It's a verbal noun. Um, as a verb, it has tense and voice. Okay, So you will parse it for tense and voice is what we're getting at. And it can have a direct object and adverbial modifiers. So in other words, as a verb, you're going to parse it and it's going to have tense and voice in the parsing. By the way, parsing for infinitives is very simple. Okay, so you'll like that part. Um, and, but just like a verb, it can not have a direct object, okay? And it can have adverbs that modify it. That's the idea there. And as a noun, it may have a definite article. So that's where it might look like an infinitive, or it might remind you of an fin- infinitive. It can have a definite article, but here's the good news, it's always going to be neuter singular, tau. Okay? So that's the article you'll see. If you, if you find an articular infinitive, or if you find an infinitive that has an article, it's going to be ta. So There's good news for you. And I'm looking at my sheets, and you might not have a blank for the top. You can still write it in. You have a blank for top?
1: What? No. No. Let's put equals top. Okay, good. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. Yeah, as long as you yeah. write it down there. I, I notice there's no blank. Uh, maybe it's because I have really big uh use all my space maybe <coughs> singular. Um, so the infinitive can incur and three tenses. Or right, we're happy about that too, right? We're happy about any uh, Hard speech that can be limited to fewer possibilities. We'd like that with the subjunctive, didn't we? We weren't worried about imperfects and futures and that kind of thing. That was nice, wasn't it? Yeah. So same thing with the infinitive. You just have the present, aorist, and perfect. <coughs> so present has a continuing idea, and again, you don't have to translate. You don't have to use the word continuing in your translation. And aorist, you don't have to use the word undefined in your translation. That'd be kind of funny. and perfect, you have the completed idea. That's just the, kind of the idea behind those. <coughs> the aspect behind this. Oh, and by the way, I, I forgot to say with the exegesis course, I'm thinking we'll have, um, if you can get b that great. I was thinking we'll probably pick, I was gonna, you know, if you have suggestions too, probably all buy like the top-notch exegetical commentary on First John. Um, See, we will have a good exegetical commentary on, or probably cover 1st through 3rd John. And then I'm probably going to do a, a more advanced grammar book, but it's very small and very simple. It's called it, It's Still Greek to Me. Uh, I really enjoy it. We had to read it for at BBS. Uh, that's like 180 pages. So read have the 1st John commentary, and then the grammar book, and then uh, a Greek New Testament, probably, so... And then there's an exegesis workbook that's also real simple.
1: I have a commentary. It's called a New American Standard Commentary, or something like that. First John, Second John. Okay. Would be something like that,
0: or um, I'm not. Is it the? Uh, is it uh, a Maroon one? Yeah. A New American, like NAC. Mm-hmm. Um, that would definitely. I would definitely hold on to that for, for that class. But it probably wouldn't be the one because those, okay. those are like expositional slash exegetical. We want to get one that's full exegetical. Um, nut and bolt kind of commentary. So anyway, but I'll get you that list quick. Yeah. I already pretty. I think I've settled on what I want to do for the books. So anyway, I'll say it before I forgot. Y'all have this slide. Yeah. Okay. So forms. Let's fill in the forms from uh, <coughs> 32.5. Whenever I have a note like that, that means I was too lazy to write the whole paradigm on my PowerPoint slide. <laughs> uh, and you can see 32.4 as well. That's the, uh, just the endings by themselves. So whichever paradigm is more helpful for you to use. Or sometimes I like to even get, like, the A. Luane paradigm, you can get a highlighter and just highlight the ending so you can see how they're functioning there with the verb stem. But, there you go. Luane, and I'll tell you up front, that's what you'll see a lot of times with the infinitive. That's probably, I've never, I've never done a statistical study myself, but uh, that's going to be the most popular infinitive ending that you'll see. Ain. That's how you'll see it in some lexicons. They'll list all verbs as the infinitive. So luane. Must we'll go present through uh, like that. So present, luane, luesthi. And then for the middle and then passive, luesthi again. So again middle passive. They're not separated like like the participles are in this case. And then first eris, luci middle, Lusosthi, passive, Luthani, and second aorist. And again, you can even see a lot of uh, predictable things, like present, you had just the regular uh, present stem, and the first aorist, you had the present, the regular aorist stem, and then the tense formative, sigma there, and then the theta, tense formative. And then second aorist, you have the stem change, lob, instead of lombano, you have lob lobain, middle, labestai, passive, grafainai. <clears throat> so all the rules basically you've learned for aorist passives and first aorists, they'll still apply here, but they're just a couple new endings that you haven't seen. And then perfect active, lelukenai, and then middle, leleucestai, <clears throat> and then passive, leleucestai again. Let me know when you have all those filled in. This is your go-to chart, okay? This is the one you want to star, highlight, circle, smiley face, amen. This is the one you want to have at your side. Tweet, tweet on Twitter.
1: Yeah. I don't even have a Twitter account. How did you organize your memory cards? Did you use cards?
0: Oh, I can't remember
1: mail it. I'm, with the to, I'm losing my
0: organization. By, I'll tell you this, by the time I get to this point in Greek, I was losing this <laughs> too. So. so I'm
1: trying
0: to use cards or something. To yeah, cards Cards were the best thing for me, for just about anything. And I would just stick it into my vocab stack. So things like the ego paradigm, I just stuck it arbitrarily into a vocab stack. <clears> so that way i flipped flip through my vocab and say, ah, oh, no, the ego paradigm. And i just review the ego paradigm while I was doing that. Awesome. So what you could do for there is make four cards. Um, one for the present, one for the first year, one for the second, and one for the perfect. And then just three forms for each card, so that could, could keep you going there. Um, but for now, you know, kind of keep this at your side while you translate, and uh, it'll help you. Don't try to translate without it completely. I mean, you can read the sentence first, obviously, and try to make your best you know, shot at it, but don't wait 20 minutes to check the paradigm, you know, have it at your side.
1: So, when you, I'm just, I've got a lot of questions. About it. Sure, yeah. It's translation, so when you're doing a translation, do you have all your tools out there, or do you, do you, does it ever come to a point in time where you can recognize it without even...
0: Yes, but will mm-hmm. my memory fail me many times? Yes. Okay. So, yeah. So do you
1: use your, keep your tools out, like this, like this table, just to refresh your memory on the forms?
0: Um. I go through periods where I try to refresh my forms. Okay. Right now, my, by, by this period is just by doing it with y'all. But uh, um, Yeah, I try, to, I try to do it myself first. That's always my goal. Okay. But then I'll go to a, a tool if I can't figure it out. So yeah, you've got to be realistic about it. You're not going to remember all of this stuff when it's all said and done. That's why you but you try to test. review as much as you can. And uh, I try to have your tools ready to go.
1: Yeah. yeah. I'm fine like, with the exercise is. Yeah, <laughs> but the
0: idea is that if you keep if you keep your Greek up, then you'll have to do that less and less. Is the idea?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. If you if you leave for two years, you will lose it. You know? Yeah.
1: Oh yeah.
0: Totally. So the reason why I've kept <laughs> it and two weeks. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the reason why I've kept it is because ever since I did college, I started seminary right away. So I've had to I've I've had to keep on using it. Everything, every class I've <clears> done, <throat> you know, yeah, keeps me in it some way. You know. Okay. But do I forget things? Yeah, easily all the time. So i constantly just yeah. be using it.
1: Like the
0: rare ones. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm real sick of myself. You know, I don't think, yeah, I got everything packed away. It just comes out No, me. No one's You But. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Like Hebrew, I really need to recover my Hebrew. I started beginning of last year and then. I still have to use Hebrew for what I'm doing right now. Or everything I do, so I'm not using it, and I'm losing it. So, language leaks. Uh, notes on the forms, okay? You see those subscript numbers on the forms, like the ones and the threes and the, all that? Uh, those numbers represent the principal parts that those forms are that those forms come from. Okay? So you remember the principal parts, like the um, in the list, uh, like in the, in the lexicon, you see the <clears throat> different principal parts. He's just trying to say that uh, the, the, the infinitive forms will be derived from those. He's just telling you which ones they come from. Um, and the ARS infinitives are not augmented. Again, you're just worried about augments in the indicative. So I like that because it, it makes it more predictable, but sometimes it might trip you up because you might think it's a, a present because there's no argument. But I like it for the most part, though. And uh, the present, active infinitives of the contract verb are as follows. Okay, so you have contract verbs. And this is what happens whenever uh, they get with the uh, infinitives. So O with alpha, goes to on. Can you see that? Yes sir. Okay. And then uh ao verbs like, like uh peri potet'o it would just go right to the regular ain. And then the a go to un.
1: <laughs>
0: so what he's trying to say here is, you know, you've learned luane as the as the present Active infinitive for lua, luang, But say you found um, peripateo, teo, that'd be predictable. Uh, Perepatain. Yeah. Uh, but what about agapao? Would it be, would it be agapain?
1: That
0: would be on. Huh? Yes. Good. Good. Very good. Sorry that that was me. So that, that's all I was trying to say. So don't be thrown off if you see um, contraction happen like that. Um, the present infinitive of me is ani. and I like that because it's one form, <laughs> and that'll just do whatever it needs to do. It does it does uh, a good job in any context. Ani as you have the infinitive. Yeah, the
1: present,
0: I think, the perfect, future,
1: yeah. Yeah, like I've noticed it. It just goes on and on.
0: Yeah, but the it's, good thing is this is not a paradigm; it's just one form.
1: That's
0: so I like that a lot. Yeah.
1: Like yeah,
0: so that just it just means to b 2B. Two a nine, a nine, a nine, a. Ooh, a nine, right? A nine. <laughs> All right, great. Okay, now we're gonna talk about. Uh, Translation. You can see uh, 32.7 or you can just listen to what I have to say <coughs> here. I don't know why he separated uh, the paradigms from the translations or the Same definitions, makes but he likes to mess with us, that's true. So the uh, present active of luo means to loose. And then <laughs> to give mounts a piece of your mind. Yeah. Um, then present middle Luo's to loose, and then in parentheses you could say for oneself. So it might not always come out in your translation, but that's oh, the idea behind it. Okay. To loose, and then parentheses for oneself. In the present middle, and then there at the bottom, the present passive of luo, to be loosed. And again, that's 32.7. Okay, that's yeah, it's pretty simple, isn't it? So
1: in the for
0: oneself, Right, say. yeah, in parentheses. Again, it's not always going to come out in your translation, but still will be the idea behind it sometimes. So, yeah, basically, what are you doing here? If it's a verb, you say loose. If it's an infinitive, you throw the what? Throw a two on there, right? <laughs> to live as Christ and to die is Cain. And then first aorist, you have... And again, you really can't translate, uh, it's hard to translate it as a simple past. So you just say, too loose, again, for the first aorist active. And then the same thing for the first aorist middle, too loose for one cell. And then the same thing for the first aorist passive, to be loosed. <coughs> Second aorist active, we're looking at lombano, with the aorist stem lob. <coughs> to receive, and then for the middle, to receive, which already inherently has the idea of doing it for oneself. It's hard to receive for another person. <laughs> uh, and then secondary passive for a grappo, to be written. And then for the perfect, you can kind of get the completed idea by using the being verb have. Uh, perfect active to have loosed, and then perfect middle, to have loosed for oneself. And then perfect passive, to have been <coughs> loosed. And the more you say this, you're going to lose yourself. <laughs> You'll like infinitives in translation, they do some cool things. All right, then whenever you're ready, I'll move on to the uses. So what have we covered so far with the infinitives?
1: The grammar. The grammar. The forms.
0: Forms. And now you want to know the use. What's the use? To use.
1: What's the use?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: To use or not to use.
0: Yeah. That's the question. Preliminary notes. Okay. I would highlight this one because this is one you will forget. The subject of the infinitive is in the accusative. You ask me why? I tell you I don't know. It's just how it is. It's going to throw you off, I promise you, when you get the translation if you don't remember it. Because you'll see an, an accusative, you want to translate it as the object. But for the infinitives, it takes an accusative as its subject. Okay? And the best thing to do is just, you'll see in translation how that works. And the negative uh, for the infinitive is May. And you'll like the parsing, I promise. Parsing is really cool. Because it's it's very, very short. <coughs> Tense voice, mood, and then the usual selective form translation. So here's an example. E Dane. It's active infinitive. That's all, just those three categories, aristocratic and infinitive, that's what you want to know. So mood, infinitive isn't really a mood necessarily, but that's what we'll throw in the box there. So you just look for tense and voice. When you get to an infinitive, you label it as an infinitive, and you say, okay, what's the tense, what's the voice? You're not worried about person, number, or gender, or anything like that. They're very simple. And that's from Hara'o to C. So, there you go. So those are preliminary notes. Infinitives. And as a substantive, okay, so here's some uses. As a substantive. Because the infinitive is a verbal noun, it can act like a noun. Okay? And whenever it's acting like a noun, it'll often have the definite article. So that's your blank there, the definite article. So that's why I said uh, for the Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ, die is gain. Um, Those are articular infinitives in that verse and uh, basically the force of it or the function of it is you could pretty much just use a noun to translate it. You could say life is Christ, death is gain. Does that make sense? The infinitive just kind of comes across as a noun Uh, and here's our example here, Um, to kill is a sin. So the idea is killing is a sin. So you don't even have to have the, the infinitive to translate it. You could say, or, or murder is a sin. So that's the, as a substantive, or like a noun. Basically, you hear substantive, you're thinking noun type of an idea just like the substantive um, adjective. And then the complementary, this is cool, this is a cool use. Um, The complementary infinitive. (coughs) Now, whenever you hear the word complementary, what do you think? (coughs) Yeah, You think it's either something that's free, right? You know, it's not complementary ice cream. Uh, But it doesn't really mean free necessarily, it means, yeah, It goes well with something. That's the idea. Like, uh, you know, if you're married, hopefully your spouse compliments you well. It doesn't mean she's always giving you compliments. It just means you go well together, okay? Um, So the infinitive is used to complete. So for a pickup line, you know, you're like a complimentary infinitive. It's used as a pickup line window.
1: I'm not the tell, yes. tell the
0: person you're interested in, you're like a complimentary infinitive. <laughs>
1: you might compliment. They're like,
0: what? <laughs> 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 Just say, never mind. <laughs>
1: if I use that, I points. it points.
0: Yeah, yes.
1: Well, it
0: me or anything. Yes. <laughs> complete me. Um, so it's used to complete the idea of the verb. Okay, here's some examples. You can write those in your box. You have day, existen, melo, dunamai, archamite, thelo, heluo, alphello. So these are verbs. Okay? These are verbs. Right? You've learned already memorize some of these. But they are verbs that almost require an infinitive to go after them. So they're very um, needy <coughs> verbs. They don't like going by themselves. They like infinitives to complement them. <laughs> this is the idea. So we just give the Greek word for yellow, yeah, mellow yellow. Yeah, yellow? Yeah. <laughs> I guess you translate it with, or spell it with an iota. <laughs> iota, epsilon, lambda, lambda, omega.
1: <clears throat>
0: okay, so when you have those written down, we'll explain it. So these are verbs that like to have complementary infinitives. So the example here is day. It is necessary for you to be born again. You can write that down there for your example. It is necessary for you to be born again. So if you have a verb like day, it means it is necessary. Does that kind of statement like to stand alone? You're already going to ask. Nope. It's necessary to do what, you know? Sure. Um, or yeah, existent. It is lawful. That's what that means. It is lawful to do what? Or mellow. I'm about. I'm about to do what? You know, that's the idea. Mellow is all, all over Hebrews as a verb that needs a complimentary infinitive. We're seeking a city which is about to come. the city that's going to come. Um, So it has complementary infinitives. Does that make sense? The complementary infinitive. The infinitive goes very well with the verb. And those are some common verbs. Or uh, a I owe, or I ought. I ought to do what? You know, I need an infinitive to go with it often. So that's kind of a cool use. We don't let it catch you off guard. Um, Articular infinitives uh, following a preposition. And here's some neat constructions. Okay. You have the... uh, Uh, whatever it's called there, the uh, chart. Only thing you need to fill in is the words in quotation marks. But we'll talk through each line here briefly. So the construction, you have a ta plus an infinitive. Indicates reason. So in your translation, you won't just use a plain old infinitive. Um, All by itself, you could add the word because. And then ace, ta, plus an infinitive could indicate purpose. And you could translate it kind of like a Hena clause and order that. <coughs> and then, end, or I'm sorry, ace, ta, did I say that? Yeah, into, plus an infinitive could have a temporal idea, or a <coughs> same time idea, while or when. And meta, ta, plus an infinitive could indicate prior time. You translate after. And do you think Mouse will bring up examples where these could pop up in the translation exercise? Would Mouse do that? Uh, he wouldn't do that He to wouldn't us. do that to us.
1: <laughs>
0: yep. uh, and pra, too. I don't think y'all have memorized pra yet, but before. And then pra's talk could also indicate purpose in order that as well. So there you go. So if you don't remember these constructions, if these don't ring a bell when you get to them in translation work, they might seem confusing. The way you translate <coughs> might be confusing. That's where you go back and uh, look at that chart. All right. So more uses. You ready? Uh, additional ways to express purpose. <coughs> you have the definite article, two, plus the infinitive. <laughs> and then the definite article 2 plus the infinitive. So translation would be, in order that we may no longer serve sin. So this is just another way, other ways that it can express uh, purpose. In order that we may no longer serve sin. It's a purpose clause. The purpose to not serve sin anymore. And then it could also be a simple uh, in order that we may no longer serve sin. And then more ways to express purpose as a simple anarthrous infinite. What does anarthrous mean?
1: No
0: definite article. Correct. An example: um, I came not to destroy the law. So the purpose for his coming was not to destroy the law. That's negating the purpose, or negating that, showing that there's another purpose. And it can express result. Okay. Now, who took result out of my slide? Zero. That's what I want to know. See must have been Steven. Oh, there it is. Okay. Hostet, followed by an accusative and infinitive. Hostet. You express the result. A result is something that happened. Really similar to purpose, but purpose might not be fulfilled depending on circumstance, right? Jesus fulfills his purpose, yes, but you might express a purpose for yourself. It may or may not be fulfilled. But a result is something that did happen. Okay, that's the result. Um, here's your example. We preach the gospel with the result that, or so that, a large crowd um, might believe. Or which resulted in is the idea. So we preach the gospel that a large crowd might believe. But if translated as a, like literally, as we've learned infinitives, we preach the gospel, therefore, to believe a large crowd. (laughs) It's kind of awkward by itself. (laughs) Okay, and then to express indirect discourse. Direct discourse is the report of what someone has said using quotation marks, okay? Direct discourse. Like a direct quote, in other words. And there's a, this is a little bit flexible, as we've already seen, even in the narratives that we've translated so far. Um, but indirect discourse reports the idea of what someone said. So I can make I can make this kind of statement. Uh, Tim said, comma quote, I did not make cinnamon buns. And that yeah, could be a direct quote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'd be mad at him of course, but uh, but I can make it indirect discourse and just kind of give the idea of what he said. He said, hey Tim said he's not gonna make cinnamon buns this morning. That's not a direct quote, is it? It's just indirect. So, that's the idea of indirect discourse versus direct discourse. Um, and you can have hati, like we've already seen, to introduce um, indirect discourse. But also could be direct discourse, as like you've seen. Like we've done with comma quote, we've done with hati. Um, you can tell often by the person and number of the verb, though, if it's a direct quote or indirect quote. Does that make sense? Um, uh, and here with the example, it'll make you it'll help the, help you see the difference. Um indirect discourse is often marked by a Hathi plus an indicative verb. And uh, the Greek example is there. The brother uh, said that he saw the Lord. Okay. So the brother um, uh, he said, third person. The brother said, third person. Blepe, third person as well. So the brother said that he saw the Lord. Now, if blepe was first person, singular, it would tell you it's a direct quote, wouldn't it? So the brother said, comma, quote, I saw the Lord. That would be a direct quote from the brother. Do you see the difference?
1: Okay. Or are we all too tired now? No, I'm, no I Just the notes don't
0: match. Up, or, or I'm reading. More. Yeah, Stephen must have done that. Um, <laughs> um, I'll tell you the blanks for numbers one through three. Uh, number one is quotation marks.
1: Yeah.
0: Number two is that. Yeah. And then number three is Hati mm-hmm. and indicative. I don't yeah. think I wrote the example down. Got you got it. You, you do have the example. Just well, of Mr. Carver does, but yeah, I mean, it says uh, the brother said that he saw the Lord. So Hati, in this case, is introducing indirect discourse. So he's just reporting um, the idea of what the brother said. and I'll put it in a contemporary example, direct discourse, Tim said, I did not make cinnamon bread. That's a direct quote. Indirect discourse would be, Tim said that he didn't make bread. See the difference? So it's in the person, the number of the verb itself. So, or in the, in the indirect discourse. Does that make sense? Because often in in some of our narrative translation work, you've seen Hathi introducing direct discourse as well. In that case, we've done comma quote, right? You remember that? And then you actually do a direct quote of something said.
1: So this would help us determine whether it's in quotes or not. Right, based on the person of. Based on the form of the. Um,
0: Right?
1: How will you know when to use
0: quotation marks? Versus using well, like that. The more I look at this example, there's no infinitive in the examples. <laughs> um, but, uh. Do you know? I mean, does it help? Yeah, it's really not based on the infinitive in this case at all. Okay. It's based on the, uh, the number of the verb blepe. Oh, because it's okay. second person. Okay. Um. So the brother said that he saw the Lord. I see. But if it was first person, right, right. it would let you know that the brother saying it directly. Okay. The brother said, "Quote: I saw the Lord." I got
1: it. Right. Yeah. Got it.
0: Okay. Yeah. That yeah. That is a little bit fuzzy. Okay. I'm not sure. Uh, but
1: hot, hot, tea could be used in, in both cases. In both cases, that's the yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's the main thing I'm trying to say. Okay. Um, he says, "I should have said that up front." I don't know why I didn't, but he says the usual way of expressing indirect discourse is by using hoti. So I guess I'm trying to requalify that statement by saying it could be both. Okay. We've seen it as both already. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So that has nothing to do with
1: anything.
0: In this case, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but maybe we'll see an example. Maybe not. But anyway. Um, in Greek, the indirect discourse. Okay, so you have the tense and mood of the verb, but the indirect discourse are always the same. And uh, this is another way of putting what we just said. The tense and mood of the verb and the indirect discourse are always the same as the verb in the original statement lying behind it. So in other words, there won't be a drastic change in in mood, person, number. So I guess we could add person and number to that as well. There'll be uh, an abrupt change in person, number, tense, mood, possibly, if it's direct discourse that is introducing. This kind of stuff we're just talking about theoretically, it really is not that hard when you get the translation. Okay. Um, so for the translation, for the above statement. Oh, it's what I just said. Okay. The brother said that he saw the Lord. Sorry, I this is a long time ago. <laughs> 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 I did write it three weeks ago and I just forgot about it, so. so um, okay, I got a question. So yeah.
1: we're under independence. Yes.
0: In yeah, I mean, I took it for granted when I was working on it earlier. So, but is there a better
1: example? For an infinitive?
0: Not that I can think of it at the top of my head. Okay. So, so I'm, I guess I'm
1: just
0: questioning... You're wondering why it's in this <laughs> lesson. I am too. Okay. But that happens sometimes in this All right. study. Well, I,
1: it's <laughs> helpful, but I'm just trying I'm to... I'm glad know. you asked, because I just took
0: it for granted. <laughs> I just took it for granted as, okay, we're talking about indirect discourse now, but what does it have to do infinitives at this point? I can't remember. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, number four, though, here you go. Number four, it will show you how it is, it's involved. Okay. Um, I me find the word for you. It also may be expressed by an infinitive. Maybe it's just showing the contrast? Yeah, that's what it is doing. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way of summarizing it, Tim. Um, if anyone thinks that he is righteous. Now, if you translated it literally, um, ain't I, How do we say you translate ani? To, to be. So, if someone thinks righteous to be, or if someone thinks to be righteous, that's kind of awkward, isn't it? But if anyone thinks that he is righteous, and if it, so that's like an indirect discourse idea. If it were direct discourse, you could say, if anyone thinks, comma, quote, I'm righteous, that would be direct discourse. And it would be reflected as such in the person in number. Wow. And that's it.